evening and welcome to Uni Church. I want to add my welcome to Andrew. It's so great to see you here as we get into this next installment of um, the book of John. Uh, my name's Rowan. Did I already say that? My head's kind of like a bit fried tonight. So why don't we pray together and then we'll get into the Bible and there we'll see so much more clarity. So let's have a look. Lord God, as we come before you tonight, we ask that you would help us to clearly see Jesus. We'd see what you want us to see and come away with something of amazement at the privilege that it is to follow Him. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you like an outline uh, tonight, there's an outline on the screen. Uh, Point number one, who are you? Point number two, uh, what are you looking for? Point number three, following Jesus. Point number four, who is Jesus? So who are you? What are you looking for? Following Jesus, that's a shorter point. And then who is Jesus? That's kind of where we're heading. But one of the questions I want us to start with is that very first question. Who are you? It's a bit of an odd question when you, when you think about it. Uh, who am I? Well, I'm, I'm me. Uh, but if you think about it, they're actually profound words. Who are you? Now, there are so many ways you can say that sentence. Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> right? There, there are so many things there. The question for us to think through tonight is, how does our identity change how we respond? How does someone else's identity change how we respond to them? The day I heard those words, uh, about a year and a half ago, who are you? Uh, They were words of tremendous warning. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where someone's used those words as a warning. Uh, I was looking for our pet rabbit, Leo. He'd gotten out. Uh, I think I told this story when this kind of happened and he disappeared. And I was walking around uh, the neighborhood houses, knocking on doors, asking if I'd look in people's backyards for our pet rabbit, Leo. And um, anyway, I knocked on this house. The lady's like, oh, sure, not a problem. Go around the back and have a look. So I go around the back and look. It's not in there. There's another gate into the next part of her yard. And I thought, it's odd that she's got two gated yards. But I went into the back bit. And then suddenly I kind of look up and there's this dog looking at me. And I'm looking at it. And it's looking at me. And I'm like, hey. <laughs> and there's this moment I thought, if it was just the dog and me, we would have been fine. But the dog starts to bark. And this lady walks around, a different lady. See, I didn't understand. It was actually a duplex and there was another house behind and I hadn't knocked on her door and asked her if I could look in her backyard. And so she goes, who are you? And at that moment, the dog's face changed. Its eyes kind of went a little bit smaller and it just started coming at me. I'm like, this isn't going to end well. I turned around to get out of the way before I felt the pain in my backside. They bit me. I got a tetanus injection and needed some new jeans. Uh, See, if those words, who are you, if you get them wrong, if you get your identity wrong, right, it it, it can come to bite you in the butt. (laughs) And you get in a lot of trouble in that instance. I would have been fine, but this lady just didn't know who I was. Now, she was really apologetic, as was I, but it brought to light the danger of a mistaken identity. And as we open the pages of the Gospel of John, we introduce to someone whose identity is of supreme importance. He was there in the beginning, John told us last week. He created all things. He is life and He is light and He gives life to all who trust in Him. He gives the right to be called children of God. Who is this one? He is God the Son. John has been writing to us to introduce you and me to our Maker. To the God that made you and sustained you. And what we see on the pages here of history is that For the first time in history, the creator of the universe has become part of his creation. He, God has become human flesh and he stayed human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ forever. 
God become flesh. Now, if you were God and you were announcing the kind of the arrival of your son, how would you do it? Like if it was me and I was God, and I'm always cautious whenever I start a sentence with if I was God, because it never ends well, because I'm not. But if I was God, cautiously, you know, I'd do some massive big show, some huge telecast, multi-vision concert thing, where everyone would be like, whoa, he's here. It'd be like amazing. And everyone would be coming together. It'd be one of those moments that everyone would be watching live. I'd get everyone on TV looking to see what would happen. I know there wasn't a TV then. I'm aware. But that's what I'd do. I'd invent TV earlier. You know, hey, I'm God. I can do that, right? Do you know, it was estimated that there were 530 million people watching the moon landing live. 530 million people. That's a lot. The, the largest event where they've said that people have come together is 3.6 billion people watched the 2016 Rio Olympics. 3.6 billion were watching that. Now, if I were God, I would have gone, everyone, look at this. God the Son, here He is. But what's interesting is that God... He doesn't do it in an amazing way. Sure, the other Gospels record that there were angels at His birth and the sky lit up as they proclaimed glory to God in the highest. But only a few people saw that. Some shepherds in a field. What we find is that God uses ordinary, clumsy, mistake-ridden humans. People like us. (laughs) For the most important opening ceremony of the history of humanity. So come with me and watch the world scratch its head as it tries to understand who this clumsy and ordinary man called John is that introduces the world to Jesus and what he is talking about. Now, last week we looked at John 1 and the early parts. Let's come back and look at John the Baptist, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, the John that we meet right here, this this one who was sent from God, is not John who wrote the book of John. There's a lot of Johns. So what I do, I thought I'd do tonight, is help you line up which John is which. So the guy that wrote the book of John, we're going to call Johnny A, because he's an apostle, Johnny the Apostle, right? Johnny A. And then the John that we meet here, who, who testifies about him, we're going to call Johnny B, because he's John the Baptist. So Johnny B is what this passage is all about. Now, Johnny B, he was, he was a wild child. He's kind of out there. You kind of see him skulking around the desert, kind of with this weird kind of coat, goat skin, camel breath kind of jacket. And, and, and he'd be eating locusts and wild honey. You can kind of imagine him. He's just a bit out there. And, and, and he's out there a lot of people started following him because he had lots to say. He spoke about calling God's people, calling Israel back to repentance. And and people started to twig on what was happening and they wanted to go out and hear what he had to say. It's amazing, think of this man that was calling people to come back to God in some way. Hundreds, maybe even thousands of people walked the 30 kilometers. And it's not just like 30 kilometers on, on a paved road. It's 30 kilometers over these massive hills and then through a desert, and it's like hot as, there's dirt everywhere, it's stinky, out to this puny little piddle of a water called the Jordan, where John was. They did that to hear what he had to say, to hear him teach, to hear him call people back to God. Johnny B is the man, and he existed to point people to someone. You see, he was really the last of the Old Testament prophets. 
You know how in the Old Testament you've got prophets that, that speak God's word to people and call people back to repentance? That they're sent by God to speak God's message and testify to God's message? That's exactly what John the Baptist does. God's been silent. No one has been sent from God in the past 400 years before Jesus' birth. And there's been nothing that's happened in that time. But here, John enters into the world stage. People are a bit confused. They're trying to work out who he was. Look with me at verse 19. This was John's testimony. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? (laughs) Right? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of a Lord. Just as Isaiah the prophet had said. That's a bit of a weird line, right? What is this guy? He's kind of like the poet and the guy who's talking through stuff. And I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Not the voice. I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Just as Isaiah the prophet had said. Now as a side note, you've got to understand about prophecy. All prophets, they, they never speak on, on their own. They always speak what God tells them, and they always speak in line with what God had said previously. So he says, just like Isaiah the prophet had said, I'm not bringing some new, totally new thing to you. I'm telling you what God said earlier is now what's happening today. (laughs) The event that that Isaiah spoke of 200 years before the birth of Jesus, so not 200 years, like a thousand of years, 700 years, somewhere around that, before the birth of Jesus, um, is now happening the next day, we hear more of this message. John was there again with two of his disciples. He had followers, right? And when he saw Jesus passing by, oh, here he is, first time. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, literally, behold. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done that. Walked down the street, seen someone, you know, oh, there's a famous person. Behold. <laughs> but that's what he does. He's a bit edgy like that. There's probably a locust hanging out of his teeth as he said it, Right? He's like, look, behold, here is, verse 29, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. And oh, did he exist before John the Baptist? He was there in the beginning. All things were created by him, for him and through him. John pointed straight at Jesus as the Lamb of God. Now, that's something weird to call people. Ever called a friend? Hey, you're a lamb. Come here. It's like, you hungry? Like, what's going on? I'm going to end up on the, on the barbecue? There's an odd image here of the Lamb of God. What is that about? Well, the prophet Isaiah said that one would come and be slaughtered in our place like a lamb. Do you know where that is? Any ideas? Isaiah 53, great passage to, to, to know and remember as we kind of keep coming back to scriptures. Isaiah 53, 6, it's on the screen. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own ways, is Isaiah the prophet speaking. And the Lord has punished him, who? For the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers. He did not open his mouth. Now the Jews, they they knew this prophecy about this one who would come and take the penalty for people turning their backs on God, who would would be punished for the iniquity of everyone else. Not that he did any wrong. 
but, that, but, that, but he would take the, the punishment for what others had done wrong. And John says, behold, that's him. Look, Jesus. He is this promised one of Isaiah. He is the one that is greater than me. He is the one that is greater than all. He existed before the creation of the world, and now he is here. God's promised one is here. If you want a short, big idea for this whole section, Johnny B points to JC. Johnny B points to Jesus Christ. Points to Jesus as the Christ. And immediately, the moment those words come out of John's mouth, the followers of John the Baptist, his disciples, become disciples of Jesus. They, they, they go from, we're with John, we're with John, Jesus is the one, I'm with him. And they move straight away. They leave the successful ministry of John the Baptist, who, who, and they follow Jesus, kind of this totally unknown guy. Now, as a sign point, John the Baptist will be the last mere man to have disciples or followers. That's okay. After John, the only one who's entitled to the privilege of having disciples or followers is Jesus. Because he's the one greater than any other. Only he is to be followed. Only he is to be trusted. Only he is to be obeyed. And that in itself should be enough to stop all cults across the world. Don't follow some other leader who says, look, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No, follow Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It should stop Christian hero worship. Where we kind of go, oh, that one's amazing. That person's amazing. We thank God for the different people throughout history who've done great things. We shouldn't worship them. We should worship the God who worked through them, who gave them the gifts and skills and abilities they have. Or, or preacher groupies. You know those ones where everyone's like, oh, I'm listening to this guy. He's so hot right now. You know, I don't know if you say it that way, but um, <laughs> let's be honest, no one's ever said that of me, and understandably, right? But, but, but people who go around like, oh, John Piper, or, or Carson, or oh, this guy, or oh, that guy. No, you seen Jesus? <laughs> one of the greatest evangelists this world has ever seen, maybe one of the greatest evangelists of at least the last hundred years, let, let's say that, was a guy by the name of Billy Graham. You heard of him? He died a couple of years ago, but it's estimated that he preached to over 215 million people live. He preached to over 215 million people live. But one of the things that nearly everyone who heard Billy speak says is that when you left one of Billy's meetings, you left singing the praises of Jesus, not the praises of Billy. Because Billy knew it was all about Jesus. He pointed people to Jesus, not himself. Don't follow me, follow him. It's the same with John the Baptist. In fact, that's where he gets it from. Less of me, more of him. I love the way that John is so focused on Jesus. When the crowds move from following John the Baptist to following Jesus, when his own disciples move from following John to Jesus, there's not a hint of envy or jealousy in John, because John is like, no, no, it's all about him. He's the one. He is who I follow. Uh, At the end of Auckland EV's first year as a church, we'd grown to about 40 or 50 people. It's pretty exciting to see kind of adults come along or gathered around the Word. And we're we're right about to launch publicly and say, look, here we are. We're going to launch in a cinema and we're going to invite everyone along. And just in the lead up to that launch, I kid you not, 12 people came to me and said, oh, look, we're just going to move cities. Now, nothing wrong with this church. We love this church, but we're actually going to move all countries. 12 people. That's over a quarter. (laughs) 
And I'm like, God, we just, God, we just moved from Australia to New Zealand to start this church. You know, we, we've moved out of relationships with our family. My parents aren't going to see their grandchildren uh, anywhere near as much. We're putting our lives into this church plan. And you want to take a quarter out? Come on. <laughs> like, and I'm like, what is going on here? And it was then that I was faced with a question. Would I be a cult leader? Or would I be happy to be trusting in God's sovereign plan and let people go and serve God in other places? Not that I ever had a chance to let them go or not. They could choose whatever they want to do. So after chatting with each of these 12 people and, and helping them and encouraging them to commit to a local church, preferably here in Auckland, <laughs> at Auckland EV, but hey, wherever that is, <laughs> we prayed for them and farewelled them as a blessing to another part of God's kingdom because we as a church are not about our own moving forward and our own kingdom. We are Jesus' church. That's not my church or your church. We're a church that is about the growth of the kingdom of God, not the growth of our organization as a local church. Now, if they were walking away, those 12 people, if they were walking away from Jesus, oh, I would have sat down and said, you guys, you should not do this. I would have talked through it and been way, way, way stronger. I've done everything in my power to say, no, 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 no. It's only through Jesus. John truly believed that Jesus must increase and he must decrease. How much better we would be as followers of Jesus if we took on John's line. Less of me, more of him. Less of my plans and purposes, more of his plans and purposes. Less of, of my pride and more of what he has done for me. Imagine if we lived our lives, less of me, more of him. Well, no sooner had these two new disciples begun to follow Jesus, the word who spoke in the beginning, speaks his first words in the book of John. John chapter 1, verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? <laughs> they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Point number two, what are you looking for? What are you looking for in life? What are you looking to get out of life for the future? What, what, what are you looking for in Jesus? It's a fantastic question for us all to consider, and it's the first words of Jesus to the people reading this letter of John. What are you looking for? What do you want from Him? Now, people come to Jesus for so many different reasons. To enjoy the blessings that He brings, to, to experience perhaps health or wealth. Other people come to Jesus um, to find a friend. Other people come to Him to see as an example of how to live. Other people treat Jesus as a therapist. Someone I can speak to and I can read his word and he can help me get through life. The question for us is, do you want something from Jesus? Or do you want relationship with Jesus? It's very different. Do I want something from him? Do I want him to provide something just for me and suck it out of him and be like, great, I've got it? Or do you want to know your maker? Do you want to know the one who spoke and creation came into being? Do you want to be in relationship with him? knowing His Word and His way and His will. These disciples of John that changed to being disciples and followers of Jesus, they want relationship. 
where are you staying? We want to come with you. See, a true disciple seeks a personal relationship with Jesus. Not just knowledge and information about him, but they, they seek to know him. They ask, where are you staying? And they remain with Jesus that day. Uh, John 15 tells us that Jesus says this, remain in me and I'll remain in you. This for these disciples was not just a phase of life. They weren't going, look, I'm just going to follow Jesus around like a wedding photographer does, the, the bride and groom on the day of a wedding. You know, they always follow around saying, smile, They're like your best friend for a day, then you never see them again, right? It's not like that. That's not the type of following that, that, that these disciples are doing here. It's not just a phase of life, something that you go through. They said, we're all in. We are convinced of this man, Jesus. We want to follow him. The decision to follow Jesus is a decision to remain with him for life. So what happens next? Well, we see these followers of Jesus. And it's the third point. We see a whole kind of number of followers of Jesus grow and grow. One person after another, after another, begins to follow Jesus. Have a look at verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Andrew here hears of Jesus. He was there with John. He was one of those followers, those disciples, uh, probably with John the Baptist, sorry, John the Apostle. Johnny A was probably there as well. That's the other one. John, John never mentions himself, but puts himself in the narrative as the other dude. Never, never says his name. It was probably Andrew and John together with John the Baptist, and they moved across to Jesus and followed him, and they were there and heard what he said. And Andrew can't stop himself. He, he, he goes and gets his brother. Do you know, in John's gospel, Andrew's only mentioned three times. And every time he's mentioned, he's bringing people to Jesus. Every time. A true disciple introduces people to Jesus. In John 6, he'll be bringing the boy with loaves and the fishes to Jesus. In John 12, he'll be bringing the Greeks to Jesus. And in this verse, in verse 41, we're told that the first thing Andrew does is to find his brother and tell him, we've found the Messiah, God's promised King. He's here. He's come and we've found him. This is it. This is the real deal. We are in. Come. Zippy's saying, now we're saved. The Messiah's come. I want you to be saved too. I want you to see him too. You can't help but be moved by Andrew's instincts here, can you? He just wants his brother to know what he's seen. He wants to bring his family and friends and even strangers to Jesus. That's exactly what happens when we recognize who he is. We want to bring people to Jesus. We want them to see what he has done and who he is and what that means for us. We say, come and see. You know, one of the worst things about being a Christian is standing at a gravesite as someone that you know and love is lowered into the ground and knowing that they didn't trust in Jesus. Knowing that, that, that there is now no more chance for them to come and trust their King, the Messiah. It's sad. It's one of the horrible moments and we're going to face that. 
One of the best things about being a Christian is being at a gravesite and seeing someone who has trusted Jesus being lowered into the grave, thinking, they're not there. <laughs> Man, they're, they're risen. Andrew's example encourages us all to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Let us invite and tell our friends and family about Jesus. If you've seen him, speak of him. Philip, who comes from the same town as Andrew and Peter, he does the same thing Andrew does. Look at verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so do the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Now, John, our gospel writer, is giving us a chain of witnesses of of people, each one testifying to another. And it's the same way God works then as he does today. See, one of the greatest highlights for me in ministry is seeing how God works to to bring someone to to Jesus, and then they bring someone else to Jesus, then they bring someone else to Jesus, then they bring someone else to Jesus. It's to see this great chain of people being infectious with their love of who Jesus is and what he's done and and understanding we've been freed from our sin and telling others about it. At my last church, I remember that we had this um, moment on stage where there were 13 people up on the stage. And and it was basically a 13-person chain of the first person who'd shared the gospel with his second person who'd said 13 times this chain just went along with these people sharing the gospel. That's my hope and prayer that we get to see that too. As we share the news of Jesus, as we introduce our friends and family and colleagues and neighbors to Him, that people recognize the light and move from death to life and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. What's clear in this passage is that God uses different types of connections that people have with one another to bring people to Jesus. In the passage here, we've got family connections between Andrew and Peter. Uh, There's friendship connections between Philip and Nathaniel. And then there are local um, connections. Philip, Peter and Andrew are all from the same town in Galilee, Bethsaida. And that happens for us too, right? We meet people at work, at the shops, at school, at uni. And if we've recognized who Jesus is, we, we talk to them. We point out how amazing Jesus is. The one that moved us from death to life. The one who we can call our brother and God the Father, our dad. The kingdom of God has been growing the same way for the last 2,000 years. People find the truth, they follow the truth, and they share the truth. And it continues to grow that way. Do you know in the last year at Auckland EV, 52 people who do not know Jesus have been invited and have come to Explaining Christianity. 52 people have, been, have come along to our Explaining Christianity course. And they're just the ones who said yes to being invited. I just want to spend a moment to honour all of you, all of you here, who has invited someone to that. I want to honor those that have invited their friends and their family to come along to, to church and to, to kind of consider Jesus and who He is. I, I want to encourage you, well done, keep going. It's so exciting to see people invite people to recognize who Jesus is and what He's done. So I want to honor you tonight and say how encouraged I am, really, by you. And say, keep going, well done. But that's how God's kingdom grows. Keep it up. But of course, uh, when you want to bring your friend or family to Jesus, it's not always smooth sailing. And that's exactly what happens when Philip tells Nathaniel. Uh, when he tells Nathaniel that Jesus is from Nazareth, the one they've been waiting for is from Nazareth. Well, Nathaniel's first reaction is like, this is a joke. It's like saying, Jesus is from Hamilton. 
What good can come from Hamilton? Seriously. Seriously. It's like the Tron. Now, I'm sorry if there are people here from Hamilton. I love you. And all I can say is, hey, Jesus was like from a town like Hamilton. <laughs> right? It was from the, the backwater. It wasn't anything massively exciting. It was Hamilton. It was Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, what can come out of Nazareth, that city over there? It's like the dog city. No, this can't be any good at all. <laughs> Literally, he says in verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh-uh. <laughs> and listen to Philip's answer. Come and see. What a great response. As we talk to people about Jesus, they ask us questions as they raise their eyebrows and say, really? Imagine if we said more often, why don't you come and see? Come and see what I see. Now, come and come along to church or come along to explaining Christianity. Or why don't you actually, why don't we sit down and open the Bible together? I know it's a bit weird, it might sound a bit weird, but I've seriously been captured by this man. I think he is God the Son. I think he is the way to life. Come and see what I see. I'd love for you to see that. Not because I want you to join my weird group, but because I think Jesus is God. And I think he made you and sustained you. And that life True life is only possible through him. Philip says, come and see. And what we note here is that a true disciple comes to Jesus with their doubts. Nathaniel did. Hm, Nazareth, all right. I'm going to look. See if anything good can come from Nazareth. Nathaniel can't imagine anything good coming from it, right? But he, he, he calls it like it is, but he still goes. And he meets Jesus. And what we know about Jesus is Jesus calls it as it is too. And at that moment, Nathanael is taken back by Jesus' kind of supernatural knowledge of him. Look at verse 48 and 49. Um, Jesus knows him. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. I wish that lady with the dog had known me before she yelled at me. But Jesus does. He knows Nathanael. How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, this is not some like creepy kind of Jesus was like, I'm watching. It's, it's not that. It wasn't even there. Jesus is saying, like, I know you. I see these things. I know where you were before Philip called you. I know what went on when, when your brother came back and chatted, even though I was over here. I, I know. And look at Nathaniel's response. Rabbi, teacher, Nathaniel replied. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Who else could know this stuff? You are who he says you are. You are the son of God. You are the promised king of Israel. What's really interesting to note is that while the whole world and Israel do not know Jesus, he knows them. He knows everything. He knows where Nathaniel was before he even laid eyes on him. And he knows you too. He sustains you. And he loves you. Nathaniel wants to know how it is that Jesus can know him. And the only satisfactory response for Nathaniel is that Jesus is the true and living God. See, a true disciple of Jesus, a true follower of Jesus, confesses Jesus for who he is, not who he wants him to be. He came wanting him to be someone from the Tron, Hamilton, one of those guys, Nazareth. But when he meets Jesus, he goes, you are the son of God. A true disciple confesses Jesus for who he is. Then what we, the last thing we need to look at here is Jesus' name. I can't remember what I called this. What did I call this point? Who is Jesus? Brilliant. Throughout this chapter, great title, we see 
one thing come up the whole way through, over and over and over. And it's, Jesus is given these different titles. One person after another sees Jesus, they confess him, and they give him a title. I want you to notice them. Let's run through them quickly on the screen. First, we hear he is the Word who was with God and was God. Then we hear he is the creator of all things. He is the light of the world. He is the Son who makes the Father known. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is a rabbi or teacher. He is the Messiah or Christ, the promised King. He is the one who knows us. He is the King of Israel. He is the one promised by Moses. He is the Son of God. They're amazing titles. Imagine having those titles on your CV, right? You'd be like, whoa, who is this guy? But all of these descriptions have come from the lips of someone else. At the end of John chapter 1, Jesus describes himself. And he answers the question, the most important question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Verse 50 and 51. Jesus responded to Nathanael. Do you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now here is the great climax of all those titles given to Jesus. You're like, what? What is going on here? What is this picture? Why is Jesus saying this? You will see greater things than this. Heaven open and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Like, what is that? Is Jesus some sort of heavenly escalator? He's like, you know, going up. Who's coming with me? Like, what is this picture? It doesn't really mean much to us when we come here to see heaven open. Okay, heaven open. And angels, messengers of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Is it on his back? What is going on? Well, the description Jesus gives of himself draws on something that happened 2,000 years before this point. In Genesis 28, Abraham's grandson Jacob had a dream. He went to sleep in this field and couldn't kind of get very comfy. And so he got a rock, whacked it under his head. Note to self, don't sleep on a rock, you have crazy dreams. Uh, But he put, put his head on a rock and he had a dream of a stairway that reached into heaven. Now, it wasn't a Led Zeppelin song. It wasn't singing a stairway to heaven. If you don't know it, I'm sorry. Genesis 28, verse 12. Have a look at it. It's on the screen. And he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky. And God's angels were going up and down on it. It's some crazy dream. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, we read in verse 17, a couple of verses on, that he was afraid. Look at verse 17. What an awesome place this is. Now, he didn't mean like, whoa, totally awesome, man. It wasn't like that sort of awesome. It was like, what an awesome place this is. Like, what am I doing here? This is like God is here. Look, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He's like, whoa, this dream that he had was of the house of God and God's presence. And this is the gate of heaven and the way that you you get to heaven. So when Jesus rocks up and says, that he is the one on whom people go up and down towards heaven with heaven open. What he is saying is, I am the ladder. I am the stairway to heaven. My death and my resurrection allow you to have life. Now, he hadn't done those things yet, but he was coming. I will be the mediator. Uh, My cross is the gate of heaven. In me, heaven and earth connect. In me, the bridge between the gulf between us and God and heaven and earth is, is bridged. 
Have you ever watched the, the show Stargate? Come on, Stargate, show of hands. All like, oh, right. right. Here's the portal that takes you through to the new world. Right? That's what he's saying. Now, that great preacher, Billy Graham, I spoke of earlier, he died recently. And there was a quote sent around of him. A quote that he had said, he'd said it obviously before he died. There was no kind of crazy exorcism stuff happening or like kind of bringing him back from the dead. But he'd said this quote before he died. And then when he died, people were kind of pasting it everywhere. It said this on the screen. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have just changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. See, when you come to Jesus, the Word become flesh, uh, the Son of God, this one, the Son of Man on whom the angels ascend and descend, you come to the gateway to heaven. You trust in Jesus, you move from death to life. Spiritually, you move home from earth to heaven, from, from darkness to light. Jesus is saying, I am the way to God. I am the gate of heaven. I am the only way to God. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like we're all born blind. In a world, trying to feel our way around and make sense of it, and trying to work out why we die and what goes on. And, and life is kind of like this. We, we walk around and, and try and work out what it's about. We, we feel around in a dark world, and we often feel like we're lost in some massive dark room and we, we can't get out. And on our own, we're just the blind leading the blind. We're in a room full of the rest of the world and we're all trying to feel our way. But then somebody gently takes us by the hand and flicks on a little light. And we recognize that Jesus is the light. He is the way and the truth and the life. And he leads us out of the darkness into the life, out of the rebellion and, and the punishment that we deserve for turning our backs on God and into the forgiveness that he has offered. And he takes us by the hand into him. Today, maybe for the first time, you've heard Jesus say, come to me, follow me. Maybe you've heard the Apostle John show you the light and something has clicked for you. And you, you want to say, I, I want in, I want to follow And I want to say, take him by the hand. Recognize who Jesus is, that he has died in your place, that he is this this savior figure from Isaiah, that he has risen again, and that he offers life and the opportunity for you to be called a child of God. Come to him and trust him. In a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And I'm going to pray and ask God to lead all of us that if today you want to make it the first day that you're in, that you're following Jesus, do you want to take his hand and be led into the light? Then why don't you take and eat that bread and grape juice as it's passed around? Hold on to it and we'll eat it together. But take it and say, yeah, I want in. This is my first step to say, I trust you. I need you. I'm sorry for the times I've turned my back on you. I'm so thankful that you've died for me, that you've taken my iniquities. And I, and I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Then do that. Make today the day you go, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm with Jesus. For others of us here, we might already trust Jesus. We've already been taken by the hand and seen the light and and know what it is to be freed from sin. Well, the message from this passage tonight is this. Don't leave alone. Reach out your hand to your family and your friends and tell them of the light that you have seen. 
while we're still in this dark room called this earth, while we're still in our earthly bodies, we have time to tell others, like Andrew, like Philip, like Nathaniel, that Jesus is God's promised king. We have time to explain the news that Jesus is the Christ. And he made you and he loves you. Don't leave alone. Grab your friend's hand, your family's hand, your colleague's hand and tell them. Ask them, invite them, pray for them. Come and see. Come and see who Jesus is and trust him with your life. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful tonight that that you have made yourself known. That as we sit here, we can call you our dad and we can recognize that while we don't deserve to be in right relationship with you, because of Jesus' death in our place, our sins have been forgiven. And we can call Jesus our brother and you our father and heaven our home. We are all sorry for the way that we have turned our backs on you. We're sorry for not treating you as God. We acknowledge we deserve punishment. We deserve death. We've rejected the God who gives life. Thank you so much that Jesus took the penalty for us. That he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. So we didn't need to be slaughtered. So we don't have to face death forever. Tonight, Lord, draw us to yourself. Forgive us and help us to trust you. And as we trust you and live for you like true followers of Jesus, help us to share with others this great news that more and more people might recognize that Jesus is the light of life, that he has died in our place, that he has risen again. Lord, we long in this city, in this country, on this earth, for every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that Jesus is Lord before he returns, not just at his return. So work through us and in us, propel us out, Take us and use us for your glory, we pray. Amen. Friends, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Why don't we stand? And as you stand, uh, the grape juice and the bread are going to be passed around. If you trust in Jesus, if he is your king, then take it and hold on to it. And at the end, we'll we'll all eat together. Uh, If you don't yet trust Jesus, then maybe just hold off. Don't go, yeah, I I really do believe Jesus died for me, but, you know, sorry, I don't believe Jesus died for me, but I'm going to drink it anyway. Just hold back. But if you trust Jesus, or maybe if it's the first time, take it and hold on to it and eat it together when we come back as we sing this great song. Let's sing. So loved the world that he gave his only son. Whosoever believes will not perish, they shall have eternal life. I shall hold to the cross. I shall hold to God alone. For His love has salvaged me. For His love
God, we are so thankful that Jesus became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We are so thankful that He took the penalty for our sins, that His body was broken and His blood was poured out, that it should have been our blood, that He took it for us. We ask that these symbols that are in front of us remind us of what Jesus has done, remind us that our death has been paid and that Jesus is coming back. And so, Lord, we ask that You would send Your Son... And while we wait, use us to proclaim the truth of Jesus. Pray this in his name. Amen. One you who trust in Jesus, take and eat this, remembering that your life depends on Jesus' body being broken for you, and be thankful. And as we drink this grape juice, remembering Jesus' blood was poured out, remember he tells us to do this until he comes back, that he is coming, that death has been defeated, and he is the victor. So drink this, looking forward to Jesus' return. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you died for us, 
Thank you that you rose again. And we ask that you would send us out into your world, proclaiming the truth that you've shown us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.